Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Cigar heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne. Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how's it going? It's going good, Max. It's been a tough week for the Suns, but as always, it's good to be back talking about the Phoenix Suns. I think you went to the Dallas game, if I remember that correctly. What was... You know, other than the disappointing loss, what was the takeaways there? The, the arena seems to be pretty loud this year, just from what I'm getting off the off the telecast. <laughs> As we often do on this show, David, we predict each other's thoughts a little bit. That's going to be coming up later for me, a Ooh. little bit. So uh, we'll get into that. Um, but for now, I'll just give a quick outline of the show and people can hear where we're going with this. So in honor of American Thanksgiving and the holiday season and in an effort to stay positive, David... We're going to start by giving our awards for what we're most thankful for so far in this young sun season. We'll uh, also throw in one not thankful award uh, for good measure. We'll then give our leaderboard for the past week. David, I really hope this is the last leaderboard we do that's difficult. Um, (laughs) After that, and we'll go to Did You Know as usual. Then we'll get into our full Western Conference power rankings, followed by uh, an East 1 through 8 power rankings. Um, But before we get into that, and even before we get to David's recap, uh, we just wanted to give a quick special shout out to those of you who showed support for us uh, the other night when things got a little nasty on Twitter. Uh, We're not going to rehash it here other than to say uh, it's unfortunate that others in the Suns fan community chose to behave that way. But uh, the support received from all you, uh, so many of you reached out, so many of you supported us, it overwhelmed any negative feelings we could have possibly had. We were both moved by it. Uh, I'd be remiss of us not to take a moment to just thank you for all of it. For all of you who supported us, that silly little incident. Also, those of you who support us by continuing to listen, uh, it makes it all worth it. And we could not appreciate it more. I couldn't agree more. Uh, The whole Thanksgiving theme idea is a a little bit odd to me this episode, Max, as we don't really do that down here in Australia. But uh, a perfect way to start the overall theme of the show by, uh, yeah, thanking the people that continue to listen and support us and those in particular who reached out after that uh, little moment that you're mentioning, but we don't need to rehash that any more than uh, what you just did, Max. All right, David, how about a recap? Yeah, the Phoenix Suns are 8-10 and 10 after 18 games, Max. It was a rough stretch this week, mostly without Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines, which we might get into a little bit later, but 1-3 and three on the week this week, and we are 3-7 and seven in our last 10, which I thought I would just throw in there to add a little salt to the wound there, Max. <laughs> but going over the week, thank God we started off with a win at Minnesota, 100-98. Booker had 35-12-9, and, and Ubre had 25-11 and 11 in that one. And then a string of three losses at Denver, 104-116. Uh, Diallo and Okobo were the stars of that game with 22 and 16, respectively. 
Uh, the Washington loss, 132-140. to 140. Booker still had 27 in that one. And the Dallas loss, which you went along to, Max, 113-120. to 120. Kelly Oubre top scored for the Suns there with 22 points. But as the end of November has drawn a close and we hit December now, the Suns are still third in their division Tied with Sacramento now, which we'll get into a little bit later, but they've snuck up on us in that eighth position in the conference is where we sit right now. And again, equal with Sacramento uh, and just in front of a couple of other teams and two games behind Minnesota now. So a little bit of a gap there in the seventh and eighth spots opening up. And we are perfectly average in the NBA, Max. 15th hmm. in the NBA and we're going to get into the East a little bit later where it gets a little murky around the uh, end of playoff spots. So I'm glad we're not going the full 15 for the Eastern <laughs> Conference. Uh, but we're about comparable to Brooklyn in the East at the moment in terms of records, which is just something I thought I'd throw in there, who have themselves gone on a little bit of an opposite run to the Suns recently, Max. But that's the recap for this week. All right, let's get into our fake Thanksgiving awards. Uh, we're going to do three each, positive, one negative. I'll start us off with mine, which is the game so far this season I've been most thankful for. I wanted to bring this up, David, because it's been a, a long time since so we've been able to talk about like what you know, choose between our favorite games of a season. Yep. And this season actually has some. I ended up going with beating the Clippers at home in game three without Rubio and Aiton on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. Uh, yep. Definitely the most impressive win we've had. It's sort of the moment when things seemed very different. With this team, like when I mean, we really realize that this is not the same team of mm -hmm. past. Uh, the others I considered were at the Warriors, uh, home at uh, home for Philly. Those were both great yep. too. But I don't know. Do you agree? Do you think Clippers at home was at the best game this season? The one you're most thankful for? Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into one of my awards in a minute where this one really stood out just when I was looking at uh, a certain couple of guys and the games they haven't played so far this season. And yeah, it, it surprised me, snuck up on me a little bit. We're only a little bit into the season, but already I'd kind of forgotten about the third game of the season where you're mm -hmm. right, it, it really seemed like a shift for the Suns. They they took a blow with Rubio going out and they still managed to, to find a way and win. Uh, against a, a team that was pretty strong at the time and, and is pretty strong right now, albeit they were missing Paul George. And uh, from memory, Kawhi was a little weird in that game. He kind of didn't come back down the crunch, but um, or, or they left it a little bit too late for his return. But yeah, that's a, a great one to highlight, I think, and uh, feeds into probably my first award when we get to that one, Max. Yeah, let's go to it uh, in a second here. I'll just real quick just say, yeah, you're right. I think they were doing sort of a rest minutes limit thing with Kawhi then, it seems yeah. like to me. Um, he played well, though. Uh, and the other thing I just wanted to give a quick shout out to, I, I mentioned it briefly, but that first quarter against the Warriors uh, in Golden State, that may have been the, the highest quarter moment of the season, just when we were up like 40 to 13 or whatever the hell it was. That <laughs> yeah. was, it was just stunning. It was just amazing. Uh, so I just want to highlight that. And uh, now, yeah, let's see your first award. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll dove, dovetail off the back of that and say that my favorite, if I had to pick one, is probably the Philly game. Mm. Uh, and it's all about this guy. If I had to call this an award, it would be uh, lay off Devin Booker and be <laughs> thankful for what he has done so far this year. I actually thought about putting this one down the bottom uh, in the negative section here, Max, just because I think we're, we as a fan base are being a little too harsh on Devin Booker right now uh, in terms of when the Suns haven't been able to pick up wins. But if you look at his kind of overall stats, and I'll run through them here very quickly, you know, last season versus this season, he's up 46.7 to 51% 
uh, from the field and true shooting 58 to 63. Three pointers 32 up to 41. Free throw 86.6 up to 95.6, which I believe is second in the NBA behind Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, points are a little bit down, but that's because he's playing team basketball, Max. And, you know, rebounds are almost exactly the same as are the assists. The turnovers are exactly the same as last year. Uh, but the big one, plus minus so far over 13, uh, sorry, uh, over the 18 games that he's played, uh, positive 5.2 versus negative 1.2. Sorry, I'll start that again. Negative 5.12 last <laughs> season versus positive 1.2 so far this season. And then I, I looked at the wins and losses because, Max, you know, we're mostly on Twitter when we talk the Suns, but I'm sure even people that aren't on Twitter that listen to this pod, you know, there's been a lot of negative stuff particularly when the Suns lose. And, you know, it's worth noting, it is there. You know, it's 29 points versus 20.8 versus a win versus a loss. The field goal drops from 56.8 to 45.7. The three-pointers drop from 54.5% in wins to 30.6 in losses. The assists stay around the same. The turnovers stay around the same. And the field goal attempts drop a little bit. So the people that are pointing out that he's maybe not being aggressive enough in the losses are probably right. But what that really just speaks to me is, you know, he is the star of this team. And and whether we win or lose generally depends on whether he plays well, Max. But I'm not sure that that's worth uh, kind of going all in on Devin Booker for at the moment. No, yeah, I agree. I understand the sentiment. Like, I, you know, we all wish he would have taken it over a little bit more. I mean, in the Dallas game, he just didn't really have it going. Uh, yep. Only a small stretch in the third quarter he did. Uh, but, you know, the, the only game he won this week was because of him. The Minnesota game, he was unbelievable in that game. Uh, the Philly game we mentioned earlier, he was unbelievable in. Like, he's been, you know, solely responsible for a couple of our losses. I think people were hoping, and I had some of this too, we were hoping that Booker could maybe pull out a few more of these while we're waiting for the, the reinforcements to get back. Yeah. Um, yep. But... Listen, you don't want him to change his entire game. They're trying to establish something here. You know, I, I don't think Devin's playing like this is going to be the roster all season. <clears throat> Devin wants to play the way he's going to play, you know, once Aiton is back, once you know Ty Jerome's in, once they just have all their horses, you know, Baines and Ruby have been out for a lot of these games. Uh, and I really think, like, look back, think back to the Sacramento game. Booker's looking at that and saying, that's who I want to be. That's what I'm going to be with when I have all these guys around me. And I think... It's frustrating to watch him try to play that way with worse players around him, but I think it is ultimately uh, beneficial for the long term. Yeah, I was going to ask you your thoughts on on the kind of stuff about him being more aggressive going forward, but you hit the nail on the head there. They're, they're still trying to work this out. I think we are a little bit impatient sometimes. You know, we see 18 games has gone by. I touched on this a lot in the preseason. Like, the fact that NBA teams in general just don't get a lot of time in training camp and stuff to... Um, you know, develop that synergy together. They're really only together for a couple of weeks, particularly because Rubio and Baines played the World Cup as well. So, you know, some of these early season games are like preseason games, still trying to feel each other out. So I just think we need to let it settle a little bit. And I think, as you said, again, nailed it on the head. It's better for the long run. Like it would have been great to see him pull out a couple more of these. I will note, he's been the top scorer in seven of eight wins that we've got so far the only one not being uh atlanta i believe but he does you know he didn't have the most shots in five of the 10 losses as well mostly uh that's going to cali Ubre surprisingly but you know 15th in the league in points per game eighth amongst guards and probably the last thing that i want to touch on there he's sitting pretty much identically at a 50 50 assist to unassist 
on his buckets at the moment, which hmm. is wildly different to previous seasons. Last year, for instance, it was 64% of his buckets were unassisted to 36 assisted. Wow. Uh, and Rubio has 20 of the 78 assists that have gone to Devin Booker so far. So they're working it out, guys. Obviously, the injury to Ricky Rubio has put them behind a little bit again. And I understand the fans that, as you said, Max, in those games, they just wanted him to step it up. But he's trying to play the right way. And it's really hard to flick the switch from game to game and, and game style to game style sometimes. So just chill out a little bit on Devin Booker, guys. One more thing I want to point out before we go to your second award, David, with Devin Booker. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you saw this tweet. I think it was Matt Peterson, I want to say. Uh, I can't remember exactly who it was. But, it, but yep. uh, Devin Booker leads the league in the combination of assists, uh, baskets that basically should have been made, or no, free throw assists is what it was. Free throw assists, assists, and then secondary assists, which is basically a hockey assist pretty much as hockey when you pass to somebody and they immediately pass somebody else for a bucket. Devin yep. Booker leads the league in that combination of things. And I think that goes to show that I think his playmaking is being a little bit underrated because his teammates aren't always helping him out. I think the Minnesota game, he should have had like 16 assists. I think that was the one. Uh, He was really, really good in the Dallas game as a playmaker, I thought, especially in the first quarter. Um, He was really penetrating and kicking to wide open shooters repeatedly. I think that, you know, we know Booker can score. Everyone knows that, you know, those of us who followed the Suns closely last season knew that Booker had more to his game. And I Mm -hmm. think Booker's shown even another level as a passer this season. And I think that's more important than him having the big you know, points performances, even if maybe those were persuade a few games here. Because in the long term, Booker being able to do everything, being more of a Harden, say, than, uh, I don't know, what's a good comparison to what he just scored, Zach Levine. Uh, you'd rather him go towards the, the, the Harden comp. So I think, you know, overall, what we're seeing from Booker is, is clear progression. And I agree, it's tough sometimes, but I would have patience. Yep. And just last thing on that, I looked up his... Uh, total passes from Booker and to Booker in both wins and losses, and they basically do not change at all, Max. So mm. uh, they're playing the same way uh, no matter how the game is going, and I actually think that is going to benefit them long-term because you don't want to become too Booker-centric and too predictable. So, yeah, some frustrating losses, but I think uh, nail on the head from you is we're going to be better in the long term. But throwing to my second award here, and I, I talked about both of them very quickly. If I had to give this one a name, Max, it would be I am thankful for the two worst off-season moves by the Phoenix Suns, and that was signing Ricky Rubio that got absolutely killed by the wider media, and also <laughs> the underrated Aaron Baines, Ty Jerome trade. But we're just going to talk specifically about Aaron Baines here because we haven't really seen Ty Jerome yet. But as I said, both deals criticized by general NBA in the offseason and absence makes the heart grow fonder. And we certainly had that these last couple of weeks with those two being out of the lineup, Max. So I'll run through a few stats and then I've got a bit of a broader question for you to answer, uh, which I've got some thoughts on. But we're seven and six with Aaron Baines. We're six and six with Ricky Rubio. Hmm. Without both of them, we're one and three. Without one of them, we're two and five. And when they both play, we are six and five, Max. So this team, as far as we know to right now, is a 500 team 
with those guys on the court. And I think uh, we've seen it this week. We really missed both of their presence, even from like a leadership and kind of talking on defense perspective as well, not just the stats. I think, you know, we're already the youngest team in the NBA and we took a 33-year-old and a 29-year-old out of the lineup for some of those games. So Baines having a career year and it's not just the minute increase for him. I think per 36 He's 22 points per game versus 12.9 is his career average before this year. The assists are the big one. 4.4 assists per game versus 1.7 on his career. So the Suns have certainly locked up um, something there that other teams haven't really noticed with Aaron Baines in previous years. As we know, shooting the lights out, 43% from three. 56% 56% from field uh, versus 28 and 49 for his career. And his PER is way up. 22 versus 14 is his career average. Uh, Ricky Rubio, don't know how long this will last, Max, but shooting a career-high 37.8% from three. Uh, and his assist-to-turnover ratio per 36 is basically the best it's been in his career. It's 92 to 2.4 at the moment, Max, uh, versus more like 8.9 ver- uh, over 3.2 for his whole career. So, yeah, we really noticed the drop-off here. Um, I think Baines's net rating uh, on and off is 6.4 versus negative 1. Rubio's even bigger than that. I think 7.3 versus negative 0.2. 0.7 when he's off the floor uh, and they've had a positive effect on Booker's numbers as well I won't go through those uh, the last thing I'll say the starting five max 150 minutes which is a lot if you look at other starting five so far in the NBA and they are a plus 12.5 net rating per 100 possessions I'll let you throw to any thoughts before I throw the question your way here max yeah, sure. No, I, I'm glad you highlighted this. Um, I would like to point out to Suns fans who are a little crestfallen right now that the last, you know, before the Dallas game, the last game we had them both for, I think it was the Atlanta game. Yeah. Uh, we were 7-4 and four after that, and, you know, the wheels started to kind of come off as soon as those guys started missing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, you know, you know, they returned Friday night. We got beat. We got beat by a really good team, though. A very good team. Um, yeah, that's not it's not a bad loss, really. And we also, you know, it's not like we were blown out. We had a what was a seven point lead in the third quarter after that run. Um, so yeah, I, I would just caution Suns fans. I know it sucks what's going on right now, but again, if you would have said we were at eight and ten, even without those two guys for a lot of the season, without Aiton for almost the entire season, without Ty Jerome for the entire season, I think we'd be looking at like you know catastrophic record predictions. Where we'd be at, so I mean, I, as long as we just hold around 500 until we get all our guys back, including Aiton, and I expect now on this road trip, now that we have Rubio and Baines back, you know, knock on wood, cross my fingers, they don't get hurt again. We should mm. be able to pick up some wins versus some of these, you know, lesser teams. Charlotte on Monday, that's you know, that's a, a game we need to win. Um, so that's all I would say about that. I'm glad you highlighted those guys, and I'm glad they're back. Yeah, we're going to talk about the East later, but this is the real tough thing about the West: is you go through those injuries, you don't really get an easy game. Uh, while they're out, uh, and then they come back and you hit a really hot Dallas. Whereas, you know, sometimes in the East, you can kind of pick up a couple of wins when even when guys are injured, and then you get a, a pretty soft return for those guys to kind of get back in. Those guys came back, and we ran straight into to the Dallas Mavericks. So that's tough. But my question here, Monty talked about a core four in the preseason, Max. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. When DeAndre Ayton returns... Phoenix will have 48 minutes a night at center of really great play between him and Aaron Baines. We've talked at length about staggering 
Rubio and Booker in their minutes. I believe when Monty said the core four, it was kind of he'd want to have two of the core four on the court at all times. Is there a chance, I doubt it was this way when he thought about the idea of the core four, but is the core four Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Aaron Baines, and DeAndre Ayton when he returns? Because it just becomes so easy to filter in three guys depending on how the game's going when you just bank on having those, you know, two of those guys on the court at all times. And, you know, Booker and Baines have got great chemistry. We obviously want to see Booker and Ayton develop more. We've talked about that and and their tease in the Sacramento game of, of how good they can be together. You know, Rubio and Baines have been really, really good together as well. And Rubio's going to be really good for Ayton in certain games too. So, you know, I just wanted to float that idea uh, and how easy it then makes the rest of the rotation if you just bank on those four guys, Max. It's an interesting question. I mean, I, I do think that Aaron Baines is probably the third best player on our team now. Uh, yep. Maybe even the second best player on our team. So I think from that perspective, he kind of has to be included. I don't want to throw shade on Kelly Oubre, who has had a great season. I would yep. say maybe more we just got a core five now instead of a core four. Which yep. is just yep. even better. Uh, so, But yeah, I mean... I, I, from the perspective of, you know, is Baines one of our best players? Is it important to have him on the court as much as possible and, you know, stagger him along with guys who are, you know, going to be productive with him? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm excited to see how Monty figures out this rotation when everything gets back. Yeah. Uh, not to step on my negative award, but there's certain people I kind of hope get pushed out. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to see. It's going to be an interesting coaching uh, conundrum for Monty, but the way he's coached so far this season... Uh, I think he's been pretty damn good, and I expect him to figure it out. Agreed. All right, I guess I'll go to my third award. This one I'm calling the Sansa Stark Colin the Reinforcements Award. Uh, David, <laughs> you're a nerd, but you're not a GOT nerd, correct? Correct. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Season 6 of Game of Thrones, but in Episode 9, Jon Snow and his army at the Battle of the Bastards had been all but defeated when Ramsay Bolton completely encircled them in the same way that the legendary Carthaginian general Hannibal Barca encircled a far more numerous Roman army, about 80,000 fighting men, with his own army, which is only about 50,000 men, at the Battle of Cannae in 216 BC during the Second Punic War. But uh, Game of Thrones departed from history when John's sister Sansa called in the Army of the Vale to flank Ramsay's army, break up the encirclement, and ultimately win victory for her and her brother. David, that's basically a long way of me saying I really can't wait for Aiton and Jerome to come back. <laughs> the reinforcements I, uh, I, are coming. I couldn't... I couldn't turn off quick enough to uh, to avoid that spoiler alert, so you've just ruined the entire Game of Thrones for me, Max. There's a lot more to it, don't worry. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is just the thing we've been talking about. We're 8 and 10 right now, but it's been so tough this season. Uh, it's easy to get negative, but maybe the way to get positive is just to look in the future and be like, these guys are coming. We're going to be a yep. totally different team when everyone's back, and it's going to be really fun to see those guys and see what uh, Monty and the team can do with them. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I've been a little bit, um, you know, gun shy on this point just because I think, you know, the NBA th tends to throw things at you. And I I'm sure, you know, knock on wood, I don't want this to happen. But, you know, when Aiton comes back, we'll probably get hit with something else just because just that's the way that the NBA works. But you touched on it at the top. Monty's been awesome. Um giving him more strings to pull and, and more guys to throw in. And, you know, that was really my point with the, the core four stuff is if he can bank on that, then he's only got three positions to fill and he can pull a Ty Jerome over a Ali Akobo or, uh, you know, he can throw Kelly in there. But if Kelly's not 
doing what he's supposed to do on any given night. He's still got Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson to throw in there as well. He can kind of tinker with the lineups. And yeah, I think Aiton is going to be a massive part of that, him coming back. Whether he starts or doesn't start straight away, I I just really don't care. I don't think Mm -hmm. it really matters all that much. I just think it's going to mean, uh, and we're probably going to get to it with your... um, when you alluded to your negative award there, but it's just going to mean that guys aren't expected to play uh, out of position. I think the beauty of the very start of the season is everyone was kind of in the roles that they'd been prepared for, you know, Frank, including him, including Tyler Johnson, uh, and all the negatives that we've seen thrown towards a couple of those players has really been because they've been asked to uh, step up and, um, you know, play a position or, a, a you know slot in the depth chart that they're just not akin to doing and, and have kind of been outmatched in a, a number of scenarios. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see Ty Jerome. I watched his uh, second game in the G League yesterday and he just looked a, a cut above that standard. So I'm really excited to see whether he can still uh, bring a lot of those tricks to the NBA with the big boys, Max, but don't want to bury the lead either. DeAndre Ayton for the Suns is going to be huge, and that's as someone who uh, doesn't like DeAndre Ayton, apparently, Max. <laughs> Weird for you to say that. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Just to have, you know, a competent center minutes constantly throughout the game is going to be so important given what's happened to the Suns' defense. I mm-hmm. haven't checked the Suns' defense, uh, the numbers lately on that, but I have to imagine they've fallen very substantially in that, in those yes. rankings. So uh, that's, you know, I don't think that's indicative of where they actually are. I think they are probably more like an average defense or maybe even slightly above average where they have everybody healthy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see them get back and improve that right. All right, David, how about your third award, the final one before our negative awards? I am very thankful for the Suns' schedule, both past, present, and future, Max. I think we, we had a real tough test at the start of the season and, and kind of came out of that with flying colors, which was great to see and not something that we really expected. But, you know, we alluded to Aiton's return. It's just eight games away now and the schedule's starting to clear up. You talked about the Charlotte game just before. So, you know, by most met- metrics that you look at, there's a few of them online. Phoenix have had one of the harder strength of schedules in the NBA, uh, if not the hardest. So, you know, with eight games until Aiton returns, uh, you know, I think we did pretty well to ride it, uh, and it's really going to come down to these next eight games. So, you know, I think in those eight, there's only two teams with a better record than the Suns, and one of those is actually Minnesota, who we beat. So I wanted to throw straight to a question here for you, Max, and kind of run through the next eight games and see what you think the Suns might be able to do uh, in terms of improving their record back above 500. Okay. So, we have an away stand of four games first. There's at Charlotte, who are 8-13. and 13. What do you think? That should be a win, David. Go for a win. Yep. At Orlando, who are 7-11. and 11. <clears throat> That's a tough one. Their defense is really damn good, but I don't think they can punish us with our with the way we're playing defense lately, so I'll say a win. New Orleans Pelicans, 6-13. and 13. God, man, I just I have flashbacks to how awful that Thursday game was. I guess I'm being, I guess I'm being positive, David. For some reason, I think we're winning that game too. And then at Houston, who are the uh, only team with a real clear record above the Suns at thirteen and six at the moment. That's a back to back, also, right? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah, the schedule makers are not doing us a whole lot of favors here. Uh, that's a <laughs> loss. All right, so three and one coming back home, and we are versus Minnesota, who are currently ten and eight. 
I'll give it a loss just because we beat them last time, and I have a lot of respect for what Towns is doing. Uh, versus Memphis, five and thirteen should be a win. Versus San Antonio Spurs, seven and thirteen. I don't know what to make of them right now. I'll say a win for us, though. I don't. I think they're the one that I still don't think is going to uh, rebound. Yep. And the last one is another team in that uh, bubble, the Portland Trailblazers, who are currently eight and twelve max. Yep. And when I said that's the one, I don't think it's going to rebound. The Portland is the one I think will rebound. So I think we'll lose that one. All right. So that's five and three off the top of my head, which means uh, at the moment that DeAndre Ayton returns. The Suns will be exactly 500, which is exactly what I think they need to be looking to do. And and you kind of alluded to it there. I think the Spurs and Portland games, uh, they just feel super, super important in terms of both getting back to 500 and then just the overall kind of playoff structure with those two teams looking to bounce back after pretty horrible starts. So, you know, a really exciting stretch here to see what the team's made of before we get those reinforcements that you talked about, Max. Yeah, definitely. Those games are important, and so are the uh, road trip games against the lesser competition, especially this Charlotte game. They better freaking beat Charlotte, David. Um, <laughs> I've, I just realized I forgot to mention my second award. I'll do it very quickly. Uh, Holiday Spirit Award. I'm so glad the fans are back into it at Suns games, uh, as yep. you alluded to early, and I had to skip the question. That Mavs game on Friday night was just awesome to be there. Not The loss was not awesome, but the, the third quarter run with culminating in the Booker dunk was just so fun. Like, the yeah. place blew up, and it hasn't been that way. It was that way for the Philly game, too. Like, it hasn't been that way in recent seasons. So glad to be back in there. So glad to feel like a real NBA team again. I think we can all uh, be thankful for that. It's been massive, for, you know, just on the telecast. That's why I asked you up the top, but didn't know you yeah. were going to filter it in with, with one of your awards, which is uh, the surprise thing that seems to always happen when we do these, which is great. But, uh, yeah, super loud. Fans seem super into it. Uh, and I think Callan maybe even tweeted that he thought it was, uh, as someone who goes to all the, the home games, but the most packed out um, game of the season. So uh, definitely good to see that, Max, for sure. Yeah, it was it was near sellout, I'd say. I don't think it was quite, but it was close. Um, all right, time for the negativity, David. We've been positive enough. Uh, my first award is the biggest turkey of the year so far. <laughs> Love it. It's Frank the Tank Kaminsky, David. Uh, he showed some signs early on, a little bit. It's getting pretty bleak now. Uh, he's down to about 40% field goal, 29% three, 68% free throw. Uh, only five rebounds a game despite being thrust into a starting center role where you'd expect him to just get some by chance. Yep. Uh, 0.4 blocks per game. Clearly not getting it done there. Uh, the Suns' on-off on stats on both offense and defense are far worse when he's around. Uh, I'll just say I understand he's been thrust into a role that isn't fair for him necessarily. But, David, I also just don't think he's very good. Uh, (laughs) He's airballing free throws on a somewhat too consistent basis for me at this point. Uh, I just – I don't know what it is with him. He has a shooting stroke, obviously. He's tall. There are some things that it seems like he should be good at. I'm really just not sure he's good at anything, and I feel like he's been pretty uh, thoroughly outplayed by Czech Diallo. Yeah, I think, you know – a very flawed player who, uh, you know, started off with a couple of hot games, but we're starting to see some of those flaws, particularly when he's been thrust into a role that uh, just isn't for him. I guess the the real question is, that, is there any role uh, in a, a good NBA team that is for him at the moment, which he hasn't um, given us a lot to hang our hat on there. But, you know, I think the, the positive take to look in that, particularly when we talk about Aiton returning, 
Uh, and, you know, Monty having a, a pretty strong rotation where some guys are going to be left out is if he's not playing well, he's just not going to play. And I think that's mm-hmm. been the big difference where at the moment he just has to play. Uh, you know, you can argue whether Diallo should have started in the last couple of games over him. I think that's probably a fair argument to make. But even then, he probably would have still been playing you know, 25 minutes off the bench just because they don't have that many bigs on the roster. So, you know, the the real positive in me for that, and it, it ties into a lot of these guys, whether it's Ty Jerome, Tyler Johnson, Ali Okobo, is, you know, Monty's going to throw them out there, and if they're not playing well or there's not a matchup for them, they're just not going to play on any given night. And that's really exciting to think about uh, with a hopefully, you know, somewhat fully strength Suns team is that Monty is going to be able to pull those strings and, you're right, there'll be nights where nothing that Frank Kaminsky does is going to be helpful to the team. Because really, at the moment, it's only when he's draining threes and spacing the floor, which really has become a more in-theory prospect at the moment because he's not hitting threes, uh, he's mm-hmm. just not going to play. And that's going to be even Czech Diallo sometimes jumping him in the rotation, uh, even though we said you know 48 minutes from Baines and Aiton is going to make it pretty hard for all those big guys. Although, how about, but think about that uh, second unit now, you know, once Aiton starting and, and Baines is back up, uh, the, the pairings of Aiton, Sharich, and Baines, Diallo actually make a decent amount of sense. Uh, I don't know if Diallo is a you know, perfect four just because I, I don't know if he's going to stick with fours very well. But on yep. offense, I think it makes a lot of sense. Some For some of the reasons why people think Baines and Aiton could possibly work, just because Baines is such a good uh, four spacer right now. Yep. And uh, and obviously Diallo has a pretty incredible touch inside and kind of be the more the role guy. So, yep. no, I, I, I'm pretty excited for that with maybe a couple running the show. That could be something fun. But uh, yeah, let's Di- go on to your bad award. I'll just say Diallo's best minutes with the Pelicans were uh, with – Anthony Davis essentially playing as a, a stretch guy mm. and, and Diallo being, you know, in the dunker spot as a, you know, technically four man, but he's essentially playing the five. So yeah, I just think uh, not to dwell on it too much, but um, we'll hopefully have some of those uh, worse players. And I throw Tyler Johnson in there as well. Don't want to throw him under the bus too much, but uh, hopefully there's just nights where they don't have to play when they don't have it going. Uh, mine is biggest turkey of the past, Max. Which <laughs> I, I'll go off off what you mentioned before. I, get, I like the Booker Award. I actually thought about flipping this and doing it as a positive award for James Jones, but I don't want to go too early on the praise for James Jones too much, just because you know it is pretty early, and I think a lot of the moves that he's made, um, it's going to take time before we can you know really fully assess how they've gone for the franchise. But sure. Ryan McDonough, Max. I don't want to you know. There's been a lot of audits of his time and looking at individual transactions and stuff. I don't really want to do that. I don't want to bring up the number one pick stuff. That's not really what I'm getting at here either. I just think the start of this year, watching this team and this rotation, and I say this as a huge supporter of McD during his tenure with the Suns, I think it's pretty safe to say he sucked, Max. <laughs> you think so, huh? I'll give you that idea. No, I mean, I... 100% agree, don't want to rehash number one thing, but you can put that entirely aside and kill him for everything else. I mean, you know, how about the reason he got fired? Then there's not having a point guard to start the season last season. Yep. I think all the criticisms of uh, Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia that I think were probably less deserved with him, where, you know, you need to actually put a culture together to have a team. Like, yep. Acquiring assets is one thing, but if the assets just are never going to work together, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think those criticisms all actually just apply to Ryan McDonough. Uh, he just has no, he had no comprehension of what it takes to put a working basketball team together. 
mm-hmm. uh, and you know you put, you put a tile that onto the fact that he also couldn't draft, as shown by Bender, Chris, and Jackson. At least we can all agree on that. Uh, yep. He clearly just had no sense for whether players were going to work together to fit, whether their skills were going to translate to the NBA. He just he, he understood one thing, and that was asset accumulation. But if that's really all you get, and you don't know how to value assets correctly, and you don't know how to make assets that work together, you know, eventually in cohesive basketball teams, it doesn't really do you a lot of good, David. Yeah, he, he kind of had the reputation of working at Boston and, and I think, you know, being the one who advocated for Rajon Rondo. And that yep. he kind of rode that into a GM job, then probably sold Sava on the idea of tearing the team down in a hinky style because that was the way to have, you know, or build a championship team. But totally lucked into that surprise team of 13-14 uh, and then tore it down basically straight away. Uh, won the Bledsoe trade, which I think uh, myself included gave him a lot of breathing space early on in his career you know even the booker pick at 13 like i was screaming for him to make that pick like it yep. was pretty much the consensus was. Pick <laughs> with with everyone that had come off the board already before 13 and then as you said he whiffed on so many picks you know killed phoenix as a destination for players and you know you touched on it there most importantly jones is a rookie gm and he's he's totally totally shown McD to be a, a fraud in terms of how to build a team, the guys that you've got to bring in, uh, you know, having your vets actually be playing rather than sitting at the end of the bench. I just don't think McDonough had any idea at that whole part of the job, which is terribly important. Like being a scout or, you know, which he wasn't a great one anyway, but it's just not uh, everything when it comes to the GM job. There's so many other factors to it and ones that are probably more important for the kind of long-term outlook of your whole franchise, Max. Yeah, 100%. I think we're seeing that. Uh, Spurs are a good example of that. They haven't always had the best talent. They used to, but they still compete. Yep. Uh, there's a lot more to basketball than just you know having individually good players. Uh, all right, ready to move on to our leaderboard? I am. I'll give you a very quick recap where we sit after week five. Devin Booker has blitzed the field and is out in front on 565 votes max. The next best is Kelly Oubre at 308. Aaron Baines and Ricky Rubio are fighting it out at 267 and 255. And then we've got another massive golf. Uh, and I want to throw a question here your way after I read out the name. So we've got Kaminsky and Saric at 96 each. Cam Johnson... Mikael Bridges, Javon Carter still sitting in there after not playing for a while. Tyler Johnson, Ali Kobo, and Shek Diallo even got a couple of one votes from our fans and listeners after week five, Max. If Booker, Ubre, Baines, and Rubio are the four, and then there's a massive golf, and Aiton is going to come back pretty soon, and he has some votes to pick up, but who's going to be the, the fifth guy at the end of the year? Is it is it going to be Aiton, or is there someone else that's uh, creeping up as being our fifth most important on this leaderboard uh, come the end of the year, Max? I actually think Aiton's got a chance to get even higher uh, than fifth yep. just because of the injuries of Rubio and Baines, and especially if they miss more time. It could easily happen, I think. Uh, but yeah, I would. I think he's a heavy favorite to finish on the list uh, somewhere just because he's going to be so much of what they do. Um, yeah. He'll likely be the second leading scorer. Uh, maybe Ubre still, but I, I think it's probably going to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yeah, I would predict him to be on the list. Do you think so? Yeah, I think, you know, I just, I thought he was going to be way, way behind, but you look at that, that, you know, Frank and Dario are only on 96 votes and, you know, we've got a lot of people voting on this now, which is great, but it means you have a, a good couple of weeks and you can pick up 
uh, a lot of votes here as Devin Booker has shown as basically getting five votes from everyone every week, which puts him way out ahead. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch out for DeAndre Ayton in the next couple of weeks in this segment, Max. You gave me a pretty good segue to my five-star there, David. I would have loved to choose someone else because I think he uh, has been rightly criticized to some extent for not winning more of these games as a star by himself, but I'm not really sure who I'm supposed to put at five besides Booker. Uh, he won us the only game that we won in the T-Wolves game. He yep. was pretty bad in uh, in the Denver game. Uh, he was, I think he was okay in the Dallas game. Probably got too much hate for not scoring enough, and, and he was kind of fine in the Wizards game. It just That game was just offensive, a defensive disaster. Uh, so I'm going Booker. How about you? Yeah, I'm the same. Huge in our one win. Uh, not sure if you looked at this, but what did he shoot from three over the last four games, Max? Wasn't wasn't good, David. <laughs> 19%. Yeah, and that, those couple games in there where he went like 0 for 6, 1 for 5, um, that's going to do it to you. But listen, that's how three-point shooting works. James Harden has games where he's 1 for 14. I think yep. you just kind of have to shoot through it. Maybe that's my biggest criticism of Booker, too. I think he needs to shoot threes more. Even if he's going to you know, shoot less, a higher percentage of those should probably be threes because they're worth more points, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll yeah, see. only only 5.2 on the season in the three-point attempts from what I can see. You would definitely like that to be up a little bit higher, I think, Max. Yeah, maybe a lot higher. I mean, Towns is at nine right now, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, I'll go ahead and go to my four. I think this will make you happy, David, because I know you're a big defender of this guy. I have Dario. At four, David. I thought he was easily the best player in the Nuggets game and has been pretty consistent otherwise. I love how this happens because I've got him much, much lower, but I'm supposedly <laughs> the one that's uh, higher on him out of the two of us. But um, yeah, I'll, I mean, I won't talk too much on him when I get to, to his vote later. I'll just say right now, I thought he was solid. You know, 12.8 points, 10.8 rebounds and two assists and shot 35% from three. Like, yeah, in a week where it was hard to find votes, uh, pretty easy to put him up there. I still had Kelly Oubre just because I thought he was the mm-hmm. second best in our win and probably our best player against Dallas as well. So yeah. I just I just thought he, he deserved the four votes this week. Yeah, I have him at three. I thought that was a pretty close one for me. And the reason why I lean Dario is just because I think he's really doing a lot right now with Frank the Tank next to him as the starting five. <laughs> Yes. Like, the Denver game, it was obvious because he had whatever amount of rebounds. He had like 16 or whatever it was, but he's still doing a lot of the dirty work. To the extent we even have a defense, it's because of him inside. Um, so I think that's why I went his way, but I don't begrudge you for going Ubre. I had him three. He remains the most fun player to watch uh, on the Suns in person. In fact, my buddy who hasn't been to a live Suns game in a long time uh, is back in town, and we, we went to the game together, and he was like, oh my God, Kelly Ubre is fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> he's the spark plug I, I love him from that that perspective and uh, playing within himself most games which has been uh, I guess the biggest thing we were hoping for in the offseason and he's definitely uh, proved it so far I gave three votes to Ricky Rubio only played okay. two out of the four games uh, but he was 19.5 points on 52% from the field and 50% from three and I alluded to his assist to turnover stuff uh, up the top of the show, he had 6.8 assists to 1.5 turnovers in those two games. I just thought he was super impressive, again, in a week where it was hard to find uh, a lot of guys for these votes, Max. He was awesome against Dallas. He was really, yep. really good. Um, I thought about having him on my list. I didn't have him just because of the only two games and they were both losses. I yep. really, really thought about it, but again, I just I kind of wanted to reward these two other guys a little more because I thought they were kind of the unheralded story of these games. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two, I have Elliot Kobo. Um, Minnesota game, he was fantastic. Denver, he was fantastic. 
I was a little uh, surprised he didn't play more against the Mavs, David. I think he had, I don't remember, it was not very many minutes. He yep. know, got severely outplayed by uh, uh, Tyler Johnson in terms of minutes. Uh, do, yep. you, do, you have, do you have any theories on why you think that happened? Uh, I think that was uh, a head coach being a head coach, Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this quite a lot with Igor, and he got killed for it. I think Monty's got a little bit more uh, brownie points from the fan base at the moment to not get killed. But uh, when it comes to the crunch, head coaches go with the older guys that they can seemingly trust, and it's mm-hmm. not always the right decision. And I think that's exactly what happened. There was uh, a really crunch period uh, Monty looks down the bench and, you know, I, I think he just sees Tyler Johnson's face and goes, yep, that's my guy. And uh, it, it's the wrong decision. I think, you know, even as a Tyler Johnson fan, I just think, you know, Ali as a playmaker, 36 assists to four turnovers or something like that on the season at the moment. And yeah, it would have been nice to see him get thrown back in there because um, Tyler has been good in stretches, but uh, seems to hurt the team in, in really crunch moments at the, at the moment. He really can't be your lead playmaker. Uh, the beginning of that fourth yeah. quarter, the Suns couldn't score, and it was it was they could have desperately needed somebody who can at least penetrate a little bit, get some driving mm-hmm. kick going. Uh, mm-hmm. Ellie would have probably you know had a chance at that, so I thought it was disappointing. But I totally agree with you, and I don't totally grudge Monty for it because Tyler you know Tyler Johnson's not a stiff. He can play a little bit. He can make shots for you. Um, he's I not Jamal Crawford. He's definitely not Jamal Crawford, dude. That's a good <laughs> way to that, that sums up what I was about to say perfectly. How about you go on to your two star player? Yeah, I gave it to check. Uh, 11.3 points on 82.3% from the field, Max. You touched on his touch earlier, yeah. and it has been incredible. I just, I, I know he's missed a couple, obviously, because he's only shot 82.3%, but I can't remember a miss. And that's, you know, even some pretty lengthy baseline jumpers and stuff. He he just looks unbelievable when he gets the, the ball in space at the moment and been diving to the rim as well. Defensively, you know, I would have hoped for a little bit more out of him, but he's just not big enough against some of the guys that he's been asked to guard. But, you know, a really nice surprise from him and, and worthy of the two. Uh, Ali was my unlucky guy because, as I alluded to before, I gave Dario Saric my one vote. But I pretty much agree with everything that you said on him. Do you have any thoughts on Diallo, who I suspect is your one star here? You suspect correctly. Uh, my thoughts on him are like, wow, he is such an interesting developmental prospect in yeah. a lot of different ways. I mean, it, the guy who shows that kind of touch around the rim, and as you said, even with the 18-foot baseline jumpers, that dude can shoot three someday, right? It seems hard to imagine he wouldn't be able to with, with the way he shoots the ball from the free throw line as well. Uh, so I'm really intrigued by him as a long-term eight-and-fet. Uh, both of them are going to have to make some strides on defense, I would say. But, you know, maybe Diallo would be better, better at the four long term. But yeah. as a potential stretch to floor player along Aiton, and they both have that killer touch that could just lead to them being kind of monstrous uh, on the interior with, you know, Booker and Rubio out there. That intrigues me long term with him, David. That's, that, those are my thoughts on check. I love that you brought that up because I've literally just thought about it as you were speaking there. But uh, the touch from inside is exactly why some very smart people thought that Brandon Clark might be able to mm-hmm. eventually shoot the NBA three. And, you know, now that I think about it, a lot of those finishes that we saw from Diallo this week were very Brandon Clark-esque. I'm not sure he quite has the defensive acumen that Brandon Clark does, I'm sure but... that he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, as some, you know, as two people who thought that Clark would be a great long-term fit with DeAndre Ayton, I just love that you brought up that, uh, you know, 
potential into the future. And, you know, you brought up Frank before, who has a team option next year that may not get picked up the way he's currently playing at the moment. Mm. But Diallo has a team option at the minimum. So as far as a long-term prospect goes, you know, Jones definitely hit that one out of the park. Absolutely. Uh, and because you mentioned Brandon Clark, David, uh, and how his touch is maybe leading to be able to shoot NBA threes, do you know what he's currently shooting from three? I know that it's pretty good, but I don't know the exact numbers. To be fair, it's in very low volume. He's 10 of 21, 47.6% from three. Um, that could get worse as he shoots more, but that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good start, David. Not a bad start at all. I'll just remind the listeners, a, a couple of which that already sent me week six votes uh, over Twitter unprompted, which is awesome. I love not having to follow people up, but we are talking about the Minnesota Denver, Washington, and Dallas games for this week, guys, when you send your five votes through. All right, David, before we get into our general NBA power ranking stuff, how about Did You Know? All right, Max, did you know Devin Booker once scored 70 points in an NBA game? What? No one told me that. (laughs) Being our 70th episode this week, I felt it was only right to look back and reflect on that franchise record-setting feat by Mr. Devin Armani Booker. On March 24, 2017, Devin Booker scored 70 against the Boston Celtics in a 120-130 loss at the TD Garden. Max, what do you remember from that one? Do you remember where you watched it and much detail about the game? Absolutely. I uh, I was at the bar with my buddies for the final... It wasn't Final Four yet. I think it was maybe Elite Eight or something. It was the De'Aaron Fox versus Lonzo Ball game. Yep. And we were all super excited for it, right? you know, getting ready for it. I didn't even have the Suns game on at the bar. I just, I'm, I'm monitoring my phone because I'm you know, obviously a psycho Suns fan. I see yep. his point total start to just rise in the third quarter, like steadily towards 50. And I'm like to my friends, I'm like, I, I have to pull my phone out and we just, we just stream this. So we just streamed it on my phone, watched the whole fourth quarter on my phone. Uh, it was a pretty fun thing to watch, David. Well, that might be good news for you because this is all going to be one giant test for you on what <laughs> oh God. you okay. remember about that game and for the listeners too, hopefully as they listen along uh, about Booker's performance and the rest of the team that night. Booker hit 21 field goals, four of them were threes and also 24 free throws. Can you tell me or have a guess at how many attempts he therefore had from the field from three and the free throw line, Max? Um, from three, I don't think it was a ton. I would say seven. He was four of 11 from three. Okay. And free throws, how many did you say he made? 22? 24 he made. 24. Okay, I'll say he took 26. You are bang on that one. Okay. And total field goals, yes, with that too. Uh, yeah, he, he hit 21. And uh, as you know, he shot pretty well that game. So that gives you a bit of a clue. Yeah, was he like 38? 40, so pretty close there. We'll give you that one. Booker actually had a pretty impressive line overall that night. Max, want to take a stab at his rebounds, assists, and steal numbers? I know he had seven assists because people like to bring that up. Um, I think it was six. Oh, he had six. I thought he had seven. Yeah, maybe they they took one off him. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh, I'd say uh, rebounds. Maybe he had five. He had eight, which I was a bit surprised at. Me too. And you said steals? Yes. Three? He did have three steals and even had a block. So a pretty impressive line overall. But final one on Booker Max, and I'll let you off the hook (laughs) on a test. Devin played 45 of a possible 48 minutes that night. But on to Booker's team that night. Two guys were equal top scorer 
on the night with 11 each, obviously next best to Devin Booker. Any ideas on who they were, Max? Uh, didn't Jared Dudley play in that game? He did. He might come up in a bit, but he isn't the answer to this question. Not the answer. Uh, Tyler Ulis? No. No? Hmm. I don't remember, David. Leandro Barbosa went 5 mm. of 12, and Alex Len went 4 of 5, both for 11 <laughs> points each that night. Max, you just mentioned him, so you've got the answer already. Do you remember who the assist leader was that night? Uh, Jared Dudley. It was. 10 assists in 28 minutes. Now, I've mentioned Len, Barbosa, and Dudley, two of which are still in the NBA. There are four other sons that played that night, two of which are in the NBA, and two are not, and one of them you may have just mentioned before. Perhaps you can flash back to that infamous locker room photo with Booker holding up the piece of paper with 70 on it to recollect, but how many of the four that haven't been named so far that played in that game can you name, Max? Um, I don't think he played. I think he was hurt at the time, but I remember his face in the photo was Brandon Knight. <laughs> yes, you um, are right. Didn't play, but he definitely is in that photo. Uh, Marquis Chris Dragon Bender. Bender didn't play. But oh Marquise yeah, Bender Chris... was hurt for a long part of that year, right? Yep. So Marquis Chris, seven point five points and four point seven boards this season with the Golden State Warriors. That's one. And I said Eulos already, so I assume he's one. You did, and he's only played one game with the Stockton Kings in the G League. God, who else was on that team? Um, you're going to have to let me know, David. I can't remember. Uh, there is Derek Jones Jr., who mm. only played four games this year due to injury with Miami. And fan favorite, Alan Williams, playing in Russia and averaging mm. 8.6 points and 8.6 boards in 19 minutes for Locomotive Cuban. And finally on that game, Max, and just to show how quickly the NBA moves, 11 Celtics players played that night and only two of them remain with Boston. I won't make you name them all. But before I do, want to take a stab at the two that are still playing for Boston right now. Marcus Smart? Is one. Oh, man. Who has been on that team for a long time? Oh, Jalen Brown? Correct. Nailed it. The others were Isaiah Thomas in Washington, Al Horford in Philadelphia, Jay Crowder in Utah, <laughs> Kelly Olynyk in Miami, Terry Rozier in Charlotte, Gerald Green in Houston, and they all remain in the NBA, while Zella, Jarebko, and Amir Johnson didn't make it through the preseason with a team this year. Now, to end on another record-setting 70-note max, in 1970, the Suns had their third season in the NBA, a season where they missed the playoffs with a 48-34 and record. The season started a five-season playoff drought before making it to the finals on their return in 1975. Surprisingly, that five-season drought was their longest in history before the current one that's going on 10 seasons now if we don't make it this year, Max. After that, there is one period of three years and just five other instances where the Suns had a one-season break from the playoffs. That's 29 total appearances in 52 seasons. Now, I'm not saying that the Suns are on their way to make the finals this season if they make it max, but it sure is time to break that record-setting drought. And time for us to jump into our Power Rankings chat, which might give us a bit of an idea on how likely it still might be that the Suns make their playoff return, Max. 
All right, let's do it. We're going to start with the West. Um, I did mine in tiers, David. So I'll yep. read off kind of in my tier order. I'll, I'll also order the teams. You can tell me where you agree or disagree. Okay, sounds good. My West tier one has only two teams now, David. I have the Los Angeles Clippers at one and the Los Angeles Lakers at two. I had them the other way around and purely because uh, PG is still working his way back in and the Lakers are on a 10-game winning streak, Max. Yeah, I'll try to say, so maybe I did my power rankings a little differently from normal. I tried to balance both my future projections for how good they are along with how well they're playing now. If it was only how well they're playing now, I'd have the Lakers number one. But I balanced a little bit because the Clippers are also playing very well and I think they're better long-term. That's why I did that. Yeah, I, th- I totally agree. You know, we we could just read through the standings if we're just right. going to, you know, talk about who's playing the best. But uh, yeah, so I definitely agree with you on that point. But uh, I've just got them the other way around at the moment. My West Tier 2, David, I have the Jazz at 3, the Rockets at 4, the Mavericks at 5, and the Nuggets at 6. We are all over the place on that one because I've got the Denver Nuggets 3, the Rockets 4, the Mavs 5, and the Jazz 6. Interesting. So let's let's start with the Nuggets because we, we transpose Nuggets and Jazz. So let's focus on them. Yep. Uh, the Nuggets obviously have a really good record. I'm nervous about the way Jokic looks, and I'm nervous about uh, some of the uh, you know shooting data shows they're getting pretty lucky on uh, opponent shots. They're letting mm-hmm. good shots happen. They're just miss- opponents are missing them. So yep. I expect that to regress a little bit, and I'm mainly I'm nervous about Jokic. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I'm a, a little bit nervous about the Jazz, I guess, because they don't have a star as far as yeah. um. Uh, you know, thinking, obviously, if we had Utah Jazz fans that listened to the show, they would come at me about Donovan Mitchell. But, you know, I, I just look through their four and six away from home, and I just think that's a little bit of a red flag at the moment. Uh, whereas, like, a team like the Nuggets are five and two away from home. So, you know, I'll throw this question at you. It's very, very early, but out of this batch of teams, which we, we definitely agree on the tier, just not the mm-hmm. order, who's the most likely to make the Western Conference Finals? Um, I think the most likely to make the Western Conference Finals is probably the Rockets. I don't expect any of these teams to make it. I think yeah. the Rockets have the highest upside, you know, if Harden is insane, Harden in the playoffs, and Westbrook can, you know, mesh in pretty well. I totally agree with you. Cool. All right. Let's go on to – Oh, should we say a quick word about the Mavs? Why, why have the Mavs solidified themselves for you? Uh, yeah, I've got them up at five, even ahead of the Jazz, just because I think – you know, Luca. We can't go without talking about him. Yeah. Um, he's just been unbelievable. He absolutely torched the Suns. Uh, but it, you know, the Suns weren't the first team that he's torched. He's basically averaging the numbers that he put up against the Suns the other night. Uh, and again, they're six and two away. So I don't think there's any flukiness about what they've done so far. You know, a lot of people were talking early on about an easy start to their schedule, but you know, I just think it is a team very much built around Luca and obviously anything happening to him would see them slide dramatically, particularly because I think Porzingis sucks right now. Uh, mm-hmm. He definitely sucked against the Suns. Um, but yeah, I just think when you've got a guy, you know, and we might get to it, I might throw the question at you in a bit later, but who's, you know, probably an MVP candidate right now, Max, uh, you deserve to probably be in this tier of teams at the moment. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I will say with Porzingis, offensively, he's kind of a disaster. I think he's been pretty good defensively for them. Um, mm-hmm. He's just such a monster. Seeing him in person, it was like, man, that guy's gigantic. Um, and the other guy, and I do want to talk about Luca a little bit. Don't turn off the podcast, guys. This won't be long. The only <laughs> thing I want to say about him is, you know, obviously I've been high on him uh, for a long time before he was drafted even. Uh, seeing him in person, I was blown away. 
Um, the thing, the thing that I, I've seen a lot of, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of good players in person, David. I've seen all the Warriors guys. I've seen LeBron. I've seen Kobe, Jordan, um, Barkley. I've seen a lot of good players in person, David. Yeah. The, the thing that jumped out to me the most about Luca, and I would even say it's maybe the most impressive trait I've ever really seen from anybody, is the handle at his size, the way he handles the ball. It doesn't really even make sense when you actually see how big he is in person, the way he controls the ball, and mm-hmm. then can just control it. And, and also, the, the cross-court passes he makes with the vision, all, that whole package at his age, it's, it's, it's kind of spellbinding in person, I think. You know, anybody who went to that game and watched Luca. Doncic up close is came away from that game saying, "Oh my God, that guy! He's he's not if he's not MVP candidate now, he is a future one." Totally, you know, the comps to James Harden are just perfect all over yeah. the court. Really, like his vision, uh, the step back, obviously, but just the athleticism or the, you know the lack of it. I think you know it was talked about at length about Luca, and we tried as as much as we could on our pod to kind of push back against that. Uh, not talked about as much about James Harden because he's not a white player from Europe, but, you know, James Harden is not an athletic player as, at all. His biggest strength is his ability to decelerate uh, and get guys yep. kind of running back, and, and that's exactly how Luca plays and, and how he's so effective on the court. You know, I, during the Suns game, saw a few tweets from people like, just make him a jump shooter, or like, can we please just, you know, do this or do that the answer is it's just not that easy to stop nope. a guy like that like it in theory you think it should be but he's just got all the tricks and um yeah it was it was uh, an impressive game from him but more importantly has been an impressive season overall not just the suns game yeah if you were six two you could do things with him you would just run people up on him um, yeah. i think that was the number one most overlooked thing about him in the draft he's six foot nine and he looks every bit of it in person he's huge he's a yeah. big old boy uh, and I will say on the Harden thing, um, I, not, not doing Pat in the Back Theater here, but that was kind of my comp for him early. I, I used to pull up uh, James Harden's scouting reports, mm-hmm. and they would all talk about how, you know, you know, he's really smart, he's really crafty, he can shoot, but he's just not much of an athlete. Yeah. And, I, and I was pointing that out over and over and over, because that, that was what people were saying about Luke, and it just, it's, it's only correct as far as it goes. It, it, the, the, the conclusion wasn't correct, was that it would limit him as a player overall. Clearly, it hasn't. Um, all right, let's move on to West Tier 3. For me, Mm -hmm. I have Wolves at seven, Suns at eight, Blazers have made a jump for me to nine in this tier. I am buying on the Sacramento Kings and have them at seven above the Suns at the moment, and I've got the Wolves at nine, and if we want to throw the Blazers in, I've got them at ten. This is probably the the big one in terms of what you said at the top around not just reading through the standings and, and looking at, you know, recent form and uh, projecting forward. I think they're a real j- danger. You know, they're six and four in their last 10, and that's without De'Aaron Fox. Obviously, the big question mark is how they then adjust back when Fox comes in. But, you know, we talked about it when they had the zero and five start about how even so early in the season, that was just going to kill them back to back with De'Aaron Fox's injury because they'd just be too far back by the time De'Aaron is back. But uh, lo and behold, they are equal with the Suns' record at the moment and haven't dropped off. And I just, I, I'm buying. I, I, and I'm not buying the Wolves as much. And, and that's very much based on the games that we've played against both of the teams and then what I've seen elsewhere as well, Max. Yeah, I have Sacramento 10, top of the next tier. I'm a little nervous about their net rating stuff's not very good. I think they're winning some close games. Yep. Um, that sometimes can be indicative of regression. But, I mean, yeah, we'll see. If, if Fox and Bagley, when they come back, integrate into this you know, current run they're on, maybe, maybe I have them a little too low here. 
But uh, I'm just nervous about that stuff. I think Bogdan got really hot for a while. I just I think what I'd say is what's going on right now seems unsustainable to me. But of mm-hmm. course they they do get as you said Fox and Bagley back. That could change uh, everything for them for me. Uh, just to defend the Wolves real quick. I think Towns is by far the best player uh, on any of these teams right now. He's an offensive force. Yeah. Um, so that's why I have them at seven. I just I kind of trust that. They've also had some underrated injury stuff going on, some missing games. So I think that full strength they're going to be a little better. Uh, Suns at eight doesn't require much explanation. Um, they just need their guys back, as we've talked about on this podcast already. Still a positive point differential versus for the Suns versus a, a negative one for the Wolves, who surprisingly are three and six at home versus seven and two away max. So yeah, I think you know I think. Everyone's pretty close in this tier, and, and the next time we do this, maybe we'll have a little bit more light on, on where guys should be. Yep. Blazers 9, real quick, just say I trust Lillard, um, and they've been on a bit of a, uh, a nice little run lately, so uh, going to defer to Dame. Uh, I'll do the rest of my tier 4. Going to add Kings 10, Pelicans 11, Spurs 12, Thunder 13. Anything stick out to you there? Uh, I just got to say, Carmelo Anthony, they're on a three-game yeah. winning streak here. Uh, He's playing well. Know. He's playing well, and, you know, I think – and one thing we did carefully say as making our jokes is that they, are, you know, they didn't have anything else. They were upgrading from nothing. So exactly. the fact that he's even playing at all well has been helping them. Yep, 17.7 points on 46% and shooting pretty well from 3-2. Uh, I've got Portland 10. They're a real danger coming up at the moment. Uh, not very far behind 500 now, so we're definitely going to have to watch them. I've got the Thunder at 11, who are 1-7 and seven away from home, which is just awful. Mm. Uh, the Pelicans dropped again. They've lost four in a row after we mm-hmm. pumped them up last week, Max. So maybe that's what we've got to do. Just keep pumping up the, uh, the dangers <laughs> the dangers to the Suns here, and, and we'll keep seeing them slide. Uh, San Antonio, 13, and that might even be uh, a little nice to them. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 and just look like they're not going to be a team like the Blazers who can turn it around. Uh, the Grizz, 14, and the Warriors, 15 for me, Max. Yep, that's my bottom tier. Same order, Grizzlies, Warriors. Um, quickly on the Spurs, agree. They had a nice win over the weekend. Forget who was over, but it was someone kind of good, and that was a nice win. Let's see if they could build on it. But mm-hmm. the roster still just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, DeJounte Murray has not been integrated in well for them. So I don't know if they're going to be able to figure that out or not. You know, you want to defer to Pop, but, you know, the clock's a ticking, Spurs. You can't dig yourself too big a hole. Exactly. Just on that, I, I guess we basically agree that it's down to two open playoff spots now we are we bumping dallas up and and not waiting longer on that one max yeah you know you always want to do the injury caveat if, if luca tears the ecl knock what doesn't happen you know then of course the Mavs are going to drop out of it um, yep. no team no team depends on one player as much as, as him he's taking harden's mantle for that yep. um but uh you know assuming health yeah those top six are, i think they're locked in so how many how many teams are you throwing into the uh still open for those two spots max um I think I would do the Wolves, Suns, Blazers, obviously, in my Tier 3. Out of my Tier 4, you know, I would say the whole Tier 4 is open. Um, I would be very surprised if the Thunder or the Spurs made it at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, Zion could come back and they could rattle off 10 in a row for the Pelicans, so I'm not going to rule anything out there. And I agree with you on the Kings. I'm a little less high on them than you are, but I, I think they have a chance. Yeah, I think we've got a new bubble grouping of kings suns wolves and blazers at the moment for the listeners to watch out for yep agree and when zion comes back we'll decide whether pelicans are going to be in that or not yep. um okay east i did tiers as well i have a tier of one david of the milwaukee bucks by themselves 
another 10-game winning streak, and Giannis is 31.2 points, 13.6 boards, 6 assists, 1.5 steals, and 1.5 blocks, and somehow is being a little underrated, I think, this season, Max. He absolutely is. I think he's getting the star taken away from him by the the LA teams, then also uh, Luka. But he's been absurd. I mean, Chris Middleton's missed almost this entire time. Uh, I think they've had a couple other guys out. It just hasn't mattered because Giannis is such a night-to-night force. Um, That's the other guy. If you ever get a chance to spend the money, go see Giannis in person. It's worth it. He's an absolute freak. Um, And, yeah, I mean, assuming that, you know, they're going to get Chris back, uh, Middleton, and the way the rest of the teams are playing well but not their level, it's hard not to have them by themselves for me. Yep, I totally agree. Tier 2, I have Philly, Toronto, Boston, and Miami. Uh, another one where we disagree a little bit. I'm really low on Philly at the moment, just from the times that I've watched them. They're just really tough to watch. They, are. they may work it out. Uh, and, you know, I have to say they're 8-0 at home, so a lot of things are going right, but just really ugly to watch, and they just look like they're not uh, a cohesive unit at the moment, even though they are winning. So uh, the Celtics also 7-0, and and Miami also 8-0 at home. So all these teams are just kind of killing teams uh, at home, the Raptors are eight and zero at home as well. So uh, that kind of ties into what we were talking about before, uh, with the East just getting better runs in their schedule sometimes. But the order I have them in are Raptors, Celtics, Heat, 76ers at five max. Yeah, I don't blame you for doing that. And again, I think I probably put a little more emphasis on what I expect to happen, you know, later on in the season because I think Philly, their current form deserves them to be the fifth of these teams. Yeah, uh, that defense is just. I mean, when they haven't beaten the floor, their defense is just. It's like legendarily good right now. Right now, yeah. So I just look at that and I'm thinking, okay, they're probably going to figure it out at some point. Um, Toronto, though, Toronto's deserve it too. They've been awesome. Uh, Siakam, is, you know, what else can you say about him? He's just really leapt into the same shoes Kawhi left, and they've been fine. Uh, Boston's falling off a bit. They're going to be great, especially when Hayward comes back in Miami. Um, they've they've really gotten something figured out with Butler. I, I love what they have. I'm I'm really wary of both the Celtics and the Heat, and I kind of put them together in this grouping for a reason. I just think, yeah, they've got things, uh, whether it's Boston getting Gordon back or or Miami just, you know, getting a little bit more uh, cohesiveness and chemistry with, with Jimmy Butler essentially taking over that team. I just think those two teams are definitely ones to watch. The Raptors, as you said, it's ridiculous. Siakam just takes a massive leap. Lowry goes out, so Fred Van Viet takes a massive leap. Uh, you know, Norm Powell couldn't get in the rotation last year and all of a sudden is, you know, one of their key players in the rotation. It's just ridiculous what they're doing. Uh, but who matches Milwaukee the best when we talk about the end of the season and a potential Eastern Conference final? So not necessarily the best uh, team of these four. What What's the best uh, conference finals we're looking for if we're saying Milwaukee's in a tier on their own at the moment, Max? I think it's Philly. Just I think they can frustrate Giannis the most. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be really hard for Giannis to score against them. So it's going to probably be a rock fight when the teams play against each other. But I just <laughs> I just picture uh, Giannis trying to go against the, the Embiid, Horford, you know, Ben Simmons defensive wall. Uh, yeah. And I think it's going to be tough. Uh, and I'll ask for your answer to that too in a second. But I just want to say the reason why I trust Boston and Miami so much is I trust their coaches a lot. I think they had two of the best coaches in the NBA. Yep, which means a lot when you get to the pointy end of the season as well, I think, Max. Yep. Uh, okay, Tier 3, I have two teams, Indiana and Brooklyn. I have those teams in the opposite order. Okay. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about Indiana? Because they've been pretty impressive so far, but do you think it's just kind of fool's gold? 
Uh, no, I don't actually, because I think, you know, people that pay attention to point differential and stuff, I think they're top eight in the entire league. So if, you, if you're looking at kind of those little clues instead of just the win-loss record, maybe I'm being a, a little bit harsh on them. But, you know, it's all about when Oladipo comes back and how the pieces all kind of move around when that happens. So I'm just a little bit wary of them at the moment, Max. Yeah, the concern with them on the differential thing is they've had a really easy schedule. Like extremely easy. Yeah, um, I think they've won a couple. They beat the Jazz the other night, so that's encouraging that they beat a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. Oh, they're also going to get Oladipo back, presumably at some point, which we'll see what form he's in. But if he's anything close to where he was a couple of seasons ago, that could be absolutely massive. It could totally launch them up into a higher tier. But uh, you know, I think I agree with most of what you said there. Um, I'll just quickly give my last team. The eighth team I have here is Orlando. Um, mm-hmm. That next tier is tough. It's it's really <laughs> tough. Um, so I'll just, I'll just leave it with Orlando there. Say I have the most faith in them uh, with their defense to make the playoffs. Shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie, who has just taken yes. over. Uh, and that's why I've got Brooklyn up at six. Obviously a huge question mark when Kyrie comes back, whether they can keep this momentum going or whether he just totally, um, you know, takes all momentum out of this little run on his return. But uh, I cheated a little bit in my eight spot. I've got Charlotte slash Orlando, and funnily enough, we play those two teams uh, the next two. So maybe after those two games, I'll be uh, more prepared to not sit on the fence and, and pick one of those two teams. But yeah, it's a total uh, shit fight down this part of the standings in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Orlando are 1-7 and seven away, Max, and the Charlotte Hornets have a negative 7 point differential for a team that's sitting ninth, uh, And that's the big gulf still at the moment between these two conferences, uh, because these teams are essentially, you know, in the same fight that Phoenix are at the moment, uh, and it's just totally different. You know, if they weren't totally boring, I'd say we revisit this next week after we play. But uh, that's not something <laughs> that we need to do. That's not interesting at all. So uh, we'll let our I hope, Orlando I hope and we smash. Lie. I hope we smash them both. Me too. All right. Is it time for seven seconds or less, David? I think it is, Max. Uh, going to take a look at the month of December before it starts and get your thoughts on a few things. Uh, I've cheated a little with three questions, uh, but they're all two-parters. Not sure if you want to run through the rules. I jumped the shark a little bit there for you. No, that's okay. I think people get it. Go ahead. I think people get it too. So question one, December 15 is seen as the unofficial opening of the trade period as it's when a lot of the recently signed free agents can be traded. Uh, Part A, we all know Tyler Johnson is the one big salary to making a big trade. But what's the other one piece if you had to pick one that becomes the prize in a big trade deal, Max? The prize is interesting. I think that that probably doesn't exist. There's probably going to be more than one. Um, yep. it, you know, maybe maybe it would be either uh, Cam or Mikel. But I see yep. it more likely being something like uh, you get Dario and a Kobo and a pick, something like that. You know? Yeah, I I think so. You know, with my heart a little bit more. I don't want to see anyone that I'm attached to go just yet. But right. that'll be interesting to see. It'll probably depend on the team and what they want. I suppose is the the cheat answer to that. Uh, yep. But be part of that question if you had to pick one player on the Suns. Uh, that they that the Suns will go after. Who do you think it'll be? I think it's going to be Gallinari. I think he fits the system very well. His contract's mm. really easy to absorb. Um, yeah, that's who I see them going after. What do you think? Yeah, I like that one a lot. So we'll we'll watch this space on that one. Someone Question else to watch. Two. I just want to mention because I can't remember who said this on Twitter. I'm sorry. Uh, I love the idea of JJ Redick. Um, I think he would be a really interesting fit. They, Ooh, they just had and- guards instead. 
Uh, had that little link to the Suns two off-seasons yep. ago as well, Max. Uh, interesting. December 25 is the famous Christmas Day slate of games and also when all-star voting typically opens. Part A, if the Suns continue to slide a little bit, is Booker's chances at the all-star game in jeopardy? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, his case is going to rely a lot on the Suns being at least you know a pseudo-contender, if not a real contender for the playoffs. He's yep. got to be kind of close, so I think that they... If they slide out of the playoff conversation, I think he slides out of the all-star conversation. Yep, I agree with that. And B, if you had to pick one team for Phoenix to play next on Christmas Day and start a bit of a rivalry, who would it be? Oh, God. Um, It'd be kind of fun to have a rivalry with uh, New Orleans, I think, just because they're a fun Mm -hmm. team. I like Zion. And uh, the the initial answer that came to my head was Dallas, but that isn't all that fun, as we're finding out, to uh, experience. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I I had Dallas written down. Uh, you're right. It probably wouldn't be a lot of fun, particularly if we keep losing those games, but I think there's a rivalry there for sure. Uh, but question three, the Suns have 15 games now between now and the end of December. We went through the first eight before, uh, where I believe you picked five and three as your overall prediction, but I'll quickly run through the rest here and you can give me a very quick answer. We play at the Clippers on the first game that Aiton is back, Max. It's also back-to-back. I'm going to give us a loss there. Clippers too good. At OKC. Win. Versus Houston at home. Loss. Denver at home. Win. I think we're they're, we're due to beat them. <laughs> All righty. Uh, at Golden State. Win. At Sacramento. Win. And at Portland. I had us losing to them earlier. I'll give a win there. All right. I think we're maybe at a 10-5 and five record for December, I think you're predicting, which would be awesome. But with that in mind, come Jan 1, where do you think the Suns will be sitting in the standings? I think we'll be where we are now. I think we'll be 8th. Eighth. 8th? Eighth? Yeah. I think that's, that's the... Uh... The hope, I think, right now. If they could get to 7th, then awesome, but it's all about staying at 500, and that should hopefully keep you around the 8th spot at the moment, I think, Max. Yeah, 10 and 5 would have a chance getting to 7 too, depends on how Minnesota plays, obviously. But, For uh, sure, yeah. I don't care where we end the standings. If we go 10 and 5, I'll be happy over the next stretch. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, Max. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me at MaxMCC11. You can follow David at the Four Point Play. David, anything else? a few more ratings but no review so if you're thinking about it guys we're gonna read them out so uh put them up for us and uh here's hoping we get a few more wins to talk about next week max as you predicted yes please we'd be thankful for that